0: The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, 2018 marks the 75th anniversary of the Operations Chastise. You might know it best as Dam Busters Raid. The yeah. events of the night, May 16th, 17th, 1943, have been made into movies, documentaries, computer games. And even books Of course books And the latest on this historic night Written by one of our favorite guests
1: Once a year Maybe twice a year If we're lucky Author and historian Ted Barris Joins us in studio Hi Ted
2: Hi Jalen Hi Andrew How are you? Good thanks Good. You guys are, are such a treat to I mean everybody Comes into this studio Gets excited Upbeat And away we go So Is that
0: true? Yeah I'm yeah. glad to hear it I,
2: Well no I mean I don't want to excite you But I wouldn't mind exciting her
0: <laughs> I don't know what that means Ted
1: <laughs> You know Ted let's talk about uh, about this because you know w- when when we first started you know Tyden t- last year when you were on your, you were in the middle of this book you were yeah. working towards it and there's been movies about the damn busters right and what did the movies get it wrong what did the movies get wrong oh, in lots.
2: it they, bar- they barely mentioned the Canadians yeah but, okay, let's <laughs> backtrack, Barris, here. Um, the movie was made in Britain. It was made by the British Film Production Company, and it was an RAF, Royal Air Force, operation. Bomber Command was focused in in Britain, and in, in many ways, Britain was at the lowest ebb in mm-hmm. 1943 of any of the Commonwealth countries because... Britain faced the music when the rest of the world didn't. Um, and, And, you know, Canada stepped up, Australia, New Zealand, Rhodesia, South Africa, all of the Commonwealth countries, but they were in the front lines. And so what I point out in the book very early on is there was no good news for the Allies in 1943. It was all bad. I mean, they took 300,000 men off Dunkirk, mm-hmm. but it was a, a pyrrhic victory. They saved lives, but there was a, it was a setback. Um, the Americans were just into the war with the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor. Canada had suffered its crucible with Dieppe in 1942. Yeah. There was no good news. So they were looking, just grasping at straws, Britain was, for something that would as was later, the phrase mm-hmm. was later, you smack the Nazis in the nose mm. uh, or give them a bloody nose. And and so that's what this was. It was a daring operation to go as far into Germany as one would dare expect anybody and then beyond uh, at the lowest level possible. We've all seen these big Lancaster bombers huge. that either in the movies or in video, the couple that fly around the country or in, in the world, the one from Hamilton. This is a 15-ton bomber which the pilots flew um, imagine, a, look out your window and about a tree that's about 60 feet, 50 or 60 feet. Or maybe if you're in an apartment building, look up about maybe five or six floors. A Lancaster weighing 15 tons flies from the middle of England, across the North Sea, across Holland, to the heart of the Ruhr River Industrial Valley to attack the dams mm-hmm. in the middle of the night secretly to not, you know, using the element of surprise. How audacious
0: is that? (laughs) It's a big and it's a very noisy aircraft and you you sort of, you know, let's cycle back to what the mission actually was for those who don't know. So it was five dams, right? And the idea was that by destroying these dams with, as you mentioned, uh, by dropping uh, a bomb that was basically a depth charge. It was meant to be dropped at a very low altitude and then you, you, as a depth charge does, use the power of condensed or compressed water to blow up these dams. result being, of course, that the area around the dams would flood. And that the
2: hydroelectric dams, or hydroelectric power that they supplied to industrial Ruhr would be gone, and that the floods that would be unleashed by the breaching of the dams, as was the case, Mm -hmm. would flood the valley for a hundred miles for a couple of days. Right. And the damage would be so um, uh, uh, critical to Nazi war production that it would set them back. And
0: and given, you know, the altitude at which these had to be dropped. 60 feet. Right. The proximity with which they had (laughs) to be dropped. Within a thousand yards. Right. Uh, Anything else you want to know? Yeah, given the location of where these dams were. Far away. This was basically, I mean, I would describe it as a suicide mission.
2: And and to, to not make light of it, indeed, uh, half the crews didn't come back. Right. 133 men went in with 19 Lancasters and only 11 came back. Um, and it was the same number of Canadians, virtually. Uh, 30 went in and 14 didn't come back. Um, the men knew this. Um, uh, I remember talking to... Fred Sutherland, who is the only surviving Canadian dam buster, in fact, one of only two dam busters surviving today up in um, um, Rocky Mountain House. Rocky Mountain House now. He was in Peace River. Yeah. And he said it was like studying for a test. That you knew was critical. It was that your hair was on the standing on end, and and um, that these guys went in. You know, what he was most frightened of here? There's a, here's a guy who's in the in the nose of a Lancaster. He's uh, being flown by a brilliant uh, New Zealand pilot named Les Knight. This man is is an extraordinary airman. I mean, just. To be able to achieve what I've just described with Lancaster in the night in the middle of the war, I mean, they're shooting at you on top of everything else, Um, was amazing. But so Fred's perched up there on the nose of this Lancaster. He's the front gunner in a Lancaster. They've done a full tour together, uh, he and and Les and the rest of the crew, and they're now transferred to this mysterious squadron that doesn't even have a number or name yet. Um, And Guy Gibson is the man who's pulling the strings. He's the wing commander of this mysterious squadron bringing these guys together. And suddenly they're told they're going to spend the next seven and a half weeks flying low-level all over England. <laughs> over, uh, um, In fact, what Guy Gibson says was, uh, said was, um, if I ask you to go to a tree in England, you'll be able to go there night or day blindfolded every time and get there. So they do this for seven and a half weeks, not knowing that the target they're going to hit or targets, are the dams. They're doing all this low-level training. All the crew thought they were going to go to Norway Mm. to hit the battleship Tirpitz, which was nestled up in the fjord up there and and had been the nemesis of shipping in the North Sea. Uh, That's what they thought the target was. On the 16th of May, the night they leave, the day they leave, they're told you're going to be bombing the great dams of the Ruhr River Valley, and that was they That's were amazing. as surprised as anybody, it's amazing. and that they go in and do this. Um, so Fred, uh, his job, in addition to defending the aircraft in the front gun turret, was to keep an eye out for high tension wires, which were out <laughs> That's there. That's crazy. I mean, it's they were like a cobweb of of wires across well, Holland and Germany. I, I was
0: going to ask if there was any specific training with regard to pulling the planes back up again, because you're not talking about perhaps colliding with a tree. You're talking about perhaps colliding with a dam. Well, that Yeah, that was a problem too. They, <laughs> they did this
2: long uh, uh, flight into the interior of Germany uh, at this treetop level. In fact, uh, Ken Brown from Moose Jaw, one of the pilots, said, when we went into the Dutch Frisian Islands, we were dodging the islands we were so low. And the gunners, when they found us, were shooting down at us, not up at us. Um, So they get to the the reservoirs, and they hop over the edge of these sort of hillsides that are cupping the water into this reservoir. And now the pilot's done his work, and he draws a bead on the dam. Now, here's what's going on in the aircraft. Uh, Beside him is a flight engineer, who could fly the plane if he has to. Um, in fact, Charlie Brennan from Calgary had to patch up John Hopgood in his plane because they got shot up going in and not only is he managing the throttles on the Merlins, uh, Charlie Brennan is, he's got to patch up his pilot so they can complete the trip. So he's handling that. Behind them is the navigator and he's looking at the blister the side of the aircraft at two beams of light which are crisscrossing below the Lancaster. When they create a dot on the reservoir, the aircraft is exactly 60 feet off the water and they have to be going, going 235 miles an hour. That's why the flight engine is managing the throttles. The wireless radio operator, slightly behind them, has started the the bomb, which weighs 10,000 pounds. One aircraft has, every aircraft has one bomb. That's it, 10,000 pounds. uh, 6,500 pounds of steel, 3,500 pounds of TNT. And it's spinning backwards at 500 revolutions per minute. One of the pilots said when you were flying a plane with this huge steel drum rotating in the belly, it was like driving a car over cobblestones. (laughs) And and then the gunners are looking, the, the bomb aimer has got a strange little why kind of slingshot effect. It's a bomb site. And when the pins on the bomb site match up with the towers on the actual dams, they're within a thousand yards. And if all these elements don't come together... The altitude, the attitude, the speed, the spinning of the, and all of the, the lining up of the pins on the site if, if one of those elements isn't working, that's
0: a dummy run. they got to go around and do it again. We still haven't uh, exercised all the possibilities. Because even if all of that goes correctly, and it's discharged properly from the aircraft, yep. it now has to skip across the water, yep. make contact with the dam. And just stay there, not uh, f- go over right, top. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Then sink down to a depth at which it will do its uh, maximum amount of
2: damage. And miraculously, of the 19 Lancasters, well, several were shot down on the way in or crashed into high-tension wires, um, they managed to drop five bombs against the Mona, which... Ultimately breached it, and three against the eater, which hmm. breached it, because they were such exquisite flyers, and the crews did all these elements. These all so primitive and uh, illogical and almost uh, 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 science fiction-like uh, strategies to achieve this objective, and they still pulled it off. It's,
1: am- it, hmm. it's just it's an, ama- it's an amazing story. It's Jay- an amazing Lynn, story. You,
2: you know more than anybody how uh, people who are expert flyers are so revered. To know that all these seven men brought this all mm-hmm. together. In fact, the I have haven't thanked you on air yet. You spoke with one of the dam busters' wives, mm-hmm. a woman named. Uh, oh, Isn't that awful? I can't. Um, Steve Rogers' wife. Yeah, uh, Dave Rogers, David Dave Rogers. R- Dave wife. Rive, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, not not Bell. Nell, Nell. Thank you. That's it. Anyway, uh, thanks to you because you went back to, to Sault Ste. Saint Marie for a visit and you interviewed her for me. Um, I got this great line that Dave, when Dave was asked as the rear gunner in one of the aircraft, he was asked, "What was it like to be out there?" He said, "We were seven men against the Reich." Yeah. I mean, they're all alone, so deep into German territory, there's no way back. So, your point about this is a suicide operation is very clear in the minds and hearts of these guys. I just, mm.
1: what I can't get past, and you know, we've Brought it up is the size of these the Lancasters that they were flying and how low they were flying. I've flown in tactical helicopters, little Griffins mm. that fly like 20 feet off the ground, and you think, man, that's something that's mind blowing.
0: And in a helicopter, you can pop up and, and you can get pop the right, right up, away. but then
1: yeah. uh, but a
0: Lancaster. Well, were they oh differently gosh. other than the obvious? Uh, you know, for the the release of the bomb, were they? Uh, equipped differently than a Lancaster? Were they training on, on aircraft that were equipped differently? Only
2: in a minor way. If you look at a Lancaster normal structure, the ones that were rolling off the assembly lines in, in Malton in Ontario and the ones in Britain, um, they would have what's called a mid-upper gun turret. About halfway back the fuselage, on the top, there was a mid-upper gun turret. They took that off so that the inner workings of the Lancaster could be reshaped into calipers, big two big arms that would come down through the bottom of the fuselage and cup on a spindle, the bomb, and it replaced the mid-upper gun. It was called a four-six-four Lancaster for all the rivet counters out there. And essentially, um, that was the modification. Everything else was the same as any other Lancaster. What was different was these crews were trained to deliver this bomb for seven and a half weeks, not knowing what the target was until the night
0: they left. So they knew it was something special, though obviously oh, they're yeah. reequipping. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, that they were successful on two of the dams, and that the idea was flooding. So, what happened after those two dams were breached? What I mean. How many troops did taken successful? off? Was it successful? Was it like I mean, in, the in damage of success?
2: This will be debated for another hundred years. Was it successful? And, and, and tactically, yes. They breached two of the, of the dams, and the waters that gushed, something like 400 billion cubic whatever's of water, go spewing down the valley for two days, 100 miles, wiping out uh, factories, sawmills, industrial plants, airfields, crops and villages, and towns, and factory barracks where there are POWs who've been brought from the Soviet Union, from Holland, from Belgium, from France, forced labor, 1400 people die. So that's the sad part of it. Now, was it a success in, in the morale sense? Yes this was the lift that I was mm-hmm. alluding to earlier mm-hmm. that the Allies did not have in 1943. They needed, and these air crews delivered it. One wonderful moment in the book is when um, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mum, and King George learn about this. Mm-hmm. They immediately go to the airbase, to RAF Scampton, to meet the crews who've survived. And it's not, congratulations and good for you and jolly old. It's, thank you. Thank you, you've given us hope you've given us a chance to believe that this thing can turn around and i don't think there's a more candid moment in royal Intercourse with uh, air crews than that. It was amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: Ted Barris joining us in studio, his newest book, Dam Busters, Canadian Airmen and the Secret Raid Against Nazi Germany. It's a fascinating story. A quick break here. When we come back, want to talk a, a little bit more, I want to focus in just a little bit more on, uh, on the Canadians who were involved uh, with this. And I think you also managed to find a, a picture. There was a photo that was snuck out. Oh, lots. Yes. This is interesting as well. Stick around more after this. in studio this afternoon. It's uh, his latest book, I think, what, number 20, 21?
2: Uh, this is 18. Number 18. I'm working on 19, 20, and 21
1: at the Oh, moment. my goodness. Damn Tell busters. Tell everybody what you did okay, for well, me. Okay. You well, were wonderful. I was, I was lucky enough to uh, interview, to be asked by you, to interview um, the the wife of uh, Dave Rogers, who was uh, who was one of the dam busters, and she was just an absolute pistol. We showed up at her cabin on Lake Superior. Uh, Dave, Andrew, you would have loved this. He flew to stay warm with his Algoma uh, steel hockey jersey on (laughs) because because it was so cold up there, but it was almost like a good luck charm for him as well. But these two were just... The uh, flaming A. Yeah, they (laughs) they were just uh, something else, still water skiing into their 80s, uh, late 80s and 90s. It was just uh, remarkable. And the one thing that I loved about and I wanted to talk to you about, Ted, is that they didn't... The boys, like so many didn't talk necessarily a whole lot to their wives or to the families. But I remember Nell telling us that every summer, every few summers, they would get together on the shore of maybe Lake Superior out at their cabin. And, and she talked about it. it. It was a time when all the guys would just be out there. The gals would kind of come in and do their own thing. It was their time to sit back and talk and maybe share stories that no one else knew because they didn't necessarily want them. To know, but the Canadians. I mean, there was a, a strong Canadian connection, obviously, to this, and there's a strong Alberta connection to this, with with the number of um, men from Alberta who seven. were dam busters. Yeah,
2: seven of them. Three of them navigators. Yeah. Um, uh, Dave was a gunner. Yeah. Um, and scored very well in his training, um, and and was also one of those. He had a great sense of humor mm-hmm. and and a real sense of of the moment when he yeah. said that we were seven men against yep. the Reich. But the three navigators from Alberta are brilliant. I'll, I'll very quickly tell yeah. you. One of them was uh, a man named Ken Earnshaw, who was a teacher in Ohatton. He's the kind of guy who, when he was writing out his attestation papers, it said, any debts? He said, no. And then he crossed it out, he said... I have a $20 debt for a radio I bought from Simpsons. <laughs> I mean, honest to a fault, right? Um, and, and, and love photography. Um, uh, Reeve Walker, yeah. depression kid from Blair Moore. Yeah. Um, uh, Sales through navigation is brilliant at what's called dead reckoning. Mm. Now, dead reckoning is when you don't have all the navigational wizardry around you to get your aircraft electronically to the enemy coast. Yeah. They were flying so low that something called G, which was a line that would deliver them electronically exactly to the point on the coast, w- w- they were so low they couldn't get G. And so every navigator had to use um, flare floats where they'd throw a flare yeah. out the back to see the wind impact. They had to use dead reckoning, the stars, so that they could get the Lancaster at the right location on the shoreline. And all of them did. And then Harlow Terram brilliant navigator, a Norwegian, was really angry that the Nazis had invaded Norway, joined the Air Force. Yeah. He becomes Guy Gibson's, the yeah. wing commander's navigator and leads the squadron all the way to Germany yeah. and doesn't even get mentioned in the GD movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, um,
1: we will we, we will remember them and, uh, and in this book it does a great job of uh, sh- telling their story and it's a fascinating story. And if people want to learn more, we're waiting to hear. Festival Place is going to be open tonight. We'll find out more about about that coming up at three o'clock, but you have an event there tonight, hopefully, and tomorrow night. And tomorrow night. Yeah. If people want to find out more; they can get a hold at uh, Festival Place. Ted Bearers. come on Always down. Always great to see you. Thank you so much.
2: Pleasure. Thank you, guys, very much.
0: The six thirty Chad afternoon news with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross weekdays at two on six thirty Chad.